Welcome to the Content Strategy Experts podcast, brought to you by Scriptorium. Since 1997, Scriptorium has helped companies manage, structure, organize, and distribute content in an efficient way. In this episode, we talk about the steps to structure, how to move from unstructured content to structure, and what each level of maturity looks like. This is part one of a two-part podcast. Hello and welcome, everyone. I am Gretel Kinsey. And I'm Bill Swallow. And today we're going to be talking about structured content and all the different steps it takes to get there. So let's just go ahead and dive right into what is kind of the first step or the baseline when we're talking about moving from unstructured content to structured. Uh, well, I guess the, the very first step that you're on is that uh, you have content. Yes. Congratulations. <laughs> Um, so that you have content, it exists, it's probably written well, um, it uh, is probably being authored by a bunch of different people uh, or authored by people using a variety of different tools. Basically, there's no general rhyme or reason as to how the content is being produced, but it looks good, uh, it serves its purpose, it's published, it's out there, people are reading it. Um, but there's generally no underlying structure. You might be using Microsoft Word and various other tools, no actual templates involved. Uh, all the formatting is kind of ad hoc and all uh, hand produced. Yes, and I think this is kind of what we consider as the baseline or the bare minimum when it comes to content. You know, it's there, it's well written, it's usable, and you have it and it's working, but uh, you know, you're not really able to kind of leverage it necessarily and do a lot more sophisticated things with it. And so you may have some kind of limitations if you're at step one, um, you know, for example, with how you publish your content, you know, if everything is kind of, uh, you know, very manual in the process of creating it, then that's probably true on the publishing side as well. So, um, you know, you're not really getting, uh, you know, kind of mass automation there. And, um, you know, you may also be limited in your ability to share content across, uh, you know, maybe different departments, different types of documents. Uh, a lot of times when we see companies who are kind of in what we would consider the step one, they tend to be in silos with unstructured content. And so you've got sort of different types of unstructured content all over the place and none of it is really connected or working together. Right. With regard to being able to share the content, there's also that issue of, of copy-paste uh, that we end up seeing a lot. Uh, and this happens a lot in this first step where if you need to share content or you need to reproduce the same content in multiple formats or in multiple documents, there's a copy and paste going on, which then just kind of adds to the whole snowballing effect of being able to manage your content. Uh, if you need to make an update, you then have to find where you've copied and pasted that information throughout all of the documents and deliverables that you've produced. Yeah, and sometimes this can really have a snowball effect where, uh, you know, if you do have different departments that produce content and, you know, let's say maybe you don't have as much of a problem with separate silos, but, you know, you do have this issue where there's no connectivity. So let's say you've got some folks over in training and they need to reference information from the official technical documentation and their training materials and they go over and, uh, you know, don't necessarily grab the latest and greatest version, but they copy and paste some of the documentation from somewhere, and then that gets into the training materials. And so there's not really any sense of version control. Um, there's not really kind of a, a sort of 
enterprise level sense of how the content is being used and maintained. So that can really kind of, you know, become a, a big maintenance issue over time as you need to grow and scale. Yep. So with regard to growing and scaling and with regard to leaving this first step behind, what is, I guess, the next level that we're going to? Step two. So step two is when you're using templates and a consistent style in your content. So this is where, uh, you know, for example, if you are working in something like Microsoft Word, FrameMaker, InDesign, you actually have templates set up. So you're not just kind of, you know, ad hoc creating different styles all over the place. Um, you've got something that can, you know, not necessarily enforce that style, but at least kind of give you a guideline to work within and some parameters to use as a starting point. And that can really help improve that consistency of your content, uh, you know, can make sure that everything, you know, kind of follows a, a more, uh, you know, not exactly structured, but approaching structured pattern. Um, this is something that I tend to refer to as implied structure because it's not, you know, actual enforced structure on your content yet, but it's kind of that intermediate step to getting there. And with that implied structure, there's also usually a style guide that will go along with it that will further help people follow the same structural composition when they're authoring. So it's not just the templates that are in place that they always use heading one for, you know, the first level um, heading in a document or use a particular note style uh, if they need to produce a note in their documentation. But there's also a style guide that says this is how the content should be arranged. Um, not only going through and saying these are what all the different styles are for, but this is generally how you approach building your documentation. This is the type of content that you want to put in this type of section in whatever you're writing. Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen some companies' style guides also address things like uh, branding consistency. So if you do have a lot of different departments creating content, there is something that says, here is the logo you always use. Here is the official way that you refer to the company. Here are the official you know, list of product names, that sort of thing, so that there's not kind of uh, you know an inconsistency there that just makes your company look unprofessional. We also can see it sometimes if your company is doing any kind of localization, if your content's being translated and there are, uh, you know, particular things to avoid or, uh, you know, ways that you want to phrase things that kind of help make translation easier, that can be included in a style guide as well. Yep. And really, it also comes down to that level of organization of content within the documents you're putting together. So if you're putting together uh, training materials or some kind of repair guide or something that's very procedural, you generally want to have a section that says, okay, we're going to start with a heading. We're going to introduce the topic using these types of paragraphs. Then we're going to break into a subheading and perhaps give a list of all the parts required if you're doing some kind of maintenance or all of the, um, the things you need in order to complete a, a particular procedure. And then jump into the procedure itself, perhaps with another heading or with some other section delineation there. And that way, the style guide kind of allows the writers to understand when they're going to write something for a particular audience that they have this structure in place that they can follow. Again, it's an implied structure. Uh, there are no set rules against it other than the style guide and whoever enforces that coming down on the writers and saying, no, you must do it this way. It at least gives you a starting point to be able to start making your content 
look and feel the same, regardless of who's authoring it, regardless of what tools they're using to do it. And I think that's a really important foundation to get in place before you move on to step three. So what is step three in this process? Step three is actually using structure. So being able to identify that there is a need for this level of consistency and these level of rules and adopting a framework that builds those controls in. So structure, we're talking something like um, XML or DITA, which is a flavor of XML, um, SGML, that's an old school one that's still around uh, some degree. But it's essentially a technological framework that says, here are all of the types of content that you have, and this is how they all play together. This is where they're allowed, this is where they're not allowed, and this is how they all flow together as well. Yeah, so this going from step two to step three is really kind of the break point between unstructured content and structured content or between that implied structure we talked about and an actual structure. And I think that's why it's so important that if you are going to move out of your unstructured content and get into true structure, that you do have that kind of you know intermediary step one to step two, because if you try to go straight from step one into step three, it's probably not going to be a very clean migration over into into structure. So if you've already laid that groundwork and you have that implied structure in place in step two, it puts you in a much better position to go on to step three. Yep. Not only do you have the content aligned so that you can convert it to some kind of structured format, uh, it makes that, that conversion process a lot easier. Uh, if you have step two in place and you have these solid templates that you use and you have this consistent writing format that you're using, uh, you can automate that process to some degree, or if not completely, to get it to a structured format. But it's also important to not skip step two because you want your authors to be able to acclimate to now writing in a structured format. If, if they're used to just doing whatever they would like, as long as the end product looks good and reads well, they're not going to come around to the idea of authoring in a structured environment very willingly. Yeah, and this is kind of, I think, the biggest challenge that we do see when a company goes from unstructured content to structured content is that big mind shift that has to happen. That's why I think it's important to have that step two so that people get accustomed to working in something that's like a structure, even if it's not a programmatically enforced actual structure, that that mind shift does not have to be as big because that is where you see a lot of resistance to change that can just really get in the way of your progress. Yep. And it's important to keep in mind when you move from step two to step three that your tools may change, your authoring tools. Uh, the writers might have gotten used to working with one set of tools in steps one and two where they were unstructured, but perhaps following a style guide, perhaps using di different templates. But as you move to structure, the tools that you're using uh, for unstructured content may not support the underlying framework for the structure that you're you're moving forward with. Often we see a little bit of reluctance among the authors to move towards structure because the tool set is going to change and they're, they're, what they've been accustomed to using, perhaps for many years, they need to abandon. And they need to adopt a new tool with a new user interface with a new underlying file format that they are just not accustomed to. 
and things may look a little strange, uh, especially when you're moving to structure uh, using XML or so forth that doesn't have formatting necessarily applied to the content itself. They're not accustomed to seeing a different representation of what they're authoring than what will be delivered to the other people. So what they're authoring in and what it looks like to them is not what it's going to look like to the person who's reading the finished produced deliverable. So that's a little jarring for some people and a lot of care needs to go into making sure your team is aware of these changes and that they have the training and uh, the support necessary to make that leap. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, you know, it, it's a really intimidating thing because suddenly you're going from, like you said, something where you can actually see kind of what the finished product will look like as you're working to something where you really have no idea. You know, if you are moving to structure for the purpose of automating your publishing processes, for example, then you're going to have one tool for authoring. You're going to most likely have some other tool or suite of tools for content management and then another tool or suite of tools for publishing. And all of those pieces are kind of separate. Um, so if you are used to everything, all being in kind of one tool together where you write everything, you review everything, and then you just export it directly to publish from that same tool, and then suddenly you're in this you know, very different framework, it is a, a shift in not only the tools themselves, but how you work. And it's really, really important um, you know, to, to make sure that nobody feels like their concerns fall by the wayside or that they're getting left behind, um, but that instead they are supported because really there are a lot of benefits to this. And I think that's the main thing is just you know, convincing people, here is how your life will be so much easier if you're not dealing with all of those problems we talked about earlier with copying and pasting and not knowing where your content lives and not knowing what version is up to date. Um, you know, going to structure can really help fix all of that, but it is that big change that you have to get people kind of over that hurdle. Right. And if they're accustomed to producing multiple different types of deliverables, for example, a PDF and some HTML uh, from a particular content source, it's going to make their lives a lot easier on the publishing side because that can be done automatically. At that point, you're really removing the writer from the process of publishing. Uh, and their job is to make sure the content is structured appropriately and written correctly. And at that point, then automation takes it to the publishing stage. Yeah, another thing that you get at this stage that I think it's important to call out is that you get to leverage smart reuse. So, you know, instead of copying and pasting information, instead of, you know, kind of finding workarounds to share it, you can actually have a single source of content that gets used in multiple places. And that, again, is, is another shift in mindset, right? But that's also a major benefit that you get out of going to structure. And so that's something, uh, you know, again, that should be a major part of training for writers. Um, on a lot of the client projects I've worked on, we end up doing uh, kind of a split where we start with basic structured authoring training. And then we usually do a separate training session or series of sessions specifically on reuse for each company because you know each organization is going to have its own reuse strategy and its own reuse requirements and so um, you know being able to leverage that finally is a really powerful thing and it's important to have that as part of the training that you do to support the authors 
And of course, once you hit the structured stage, there's there's nowhere else to go. Step three is the final step, right? Oh no, there's much more. And we will be covering that in part two of this podcast. So for now, thank you so much, Bill. Thank you. And thank you for listening to the Content Strategy Experts podcast brought to you by Scriptorium. For more information, visit scriptorium.com or check the show notes for relevant links.